This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock? Tech story is front and centre. What will this wind up doing to the cost curve? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. So it feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioural challenges from the pandemic could linger for years on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening to the City of London. Happy Monday, everybody. I'm Alex Steele here in New York. Guy Johnson is off today. You're listening to The Cable live on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. It is just past 5 p.m. Let's get you up to speed on some of the big business stories, right? We got a German IFO data, terrible, terrible read. Expectations not feeling so good uh, over in Germany. European gas futures also jumping. Gazprom uh, cuts gas flow now to 20%. We get a debate coming up between Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak. And then here in the U.S., we got a lot of earnings to get through as well. Uh, Kriti Gupta is in for Guy Johnson. She joins me here in the studio. I feel like this is a U.S. week. But, like, not yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it all really kicks off tomorrow. That's what everyone's kind of holding their breath for. Today's kind of a, a meh day, as we say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to some of the other stories that we're watching here. Charlie Pellet joins us. Thank you very much. And here's what's going on. U.K. manufacturers saw demand weaken in the last three months and predict no improvement near term. But inflationary pressures also are showing signs of peaking. That's according to the latest survey of the sector by the Confederation of British Industry, which showed order books growing growing at their slowest pace in 15 months. An index of output expectations fell to the lowest level since January of 2021. Russia says its missile strike on Odessa targeted a military area and would not affect plans to resume grain exports to the Black Sea port. Wheat prices have surged since the Russian attack, which came a day after it signed a Turkish-mediated deal to allow safe transit for Ukrainian grain shipments blocked since the war. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov also says Russia is not interested in cutting gas supplies to Europe and will reinstall a repaired Nord Stream turbine once it arrives. And next year's Eurovision Song Contest will be staged in Britain after concluding it's too risky to hold the much-beloved pop extravaganza in the designated host country Ukraine. The UK says the 2023 event will be a celebration of Ukrainian culture and creativity. And that is the latest from the news desk. Alex Steele, back to you now here in New York. Charlie Pellet. Thank you so very much. And just to recap kind of where equities wound up, European stocks closed up by about two-tenths of 1%. You got the FTSE 100 up by four-tenths of 1%. The CAC Caron up by three-tenths of 1%. The underperformer, though, was the DAX, closing down by three-tenths of 1%. At the same time, you got a relative bid in the bond market all over in Europe. But in Germany, yields were down by about one basis point. The explanation comes from the German IFO data, the business expectation data. It was really terrible, and the expectation number doesn't look great as well. Bloomberg caught up with the IFO president, Professor Clemens Faust, and this is what he had to say. Well, the risk is definitely growing. Uh, I think there is a likelihood that the uh, third and fourth quarter will be quite back. Maybe the economy will stagnate, but it might also fall into a recession. And that's really driven uh, by the concern about gas rationing, uh, and it's driven by generally rising prices. So it, so companies are really feeling this. Um, a lot of companies have problems passing on the higher costs, in particular, of course, the higher energy costs. That was Cummins first from the uh, EVO president, Professor, uh, joining us there. Let's get more on the economy here. European economy uh, reporter uh, Joe Schneeweiss uh, joins us now. Uh, Zoe, excuse me, Zoe Schneeweiss uh, joins us now. Um, 
Zoe, talk to me about what we learned within the German IFO data that sort of sets us up for disappointing growth. I just want to set the stage for like what the ECB is going to be looking at now. So as you mentioned, the data today was really horrific. It was the worst reading we've had since the early months of the pandemic. So that was back in like um, May, June 2020. So why is this, these numbers um, just set us up for a really bad week? We've, later this week, we've get, get um, the next reading for inflation, which again is going to be very elevated. It's going to be above 8%. It will actually have slowed from the month before, but still 8.1%, and that's what um, the predictions are right now, are really not good. That's just the day before we get a GDP number for the second quarter, and that'll likely show that the economy grew just 0.1% in that quarter. That's after 0.2% in the previous quarter, so just barely growing. Um, the European Commission um, it says even it will, only have grow, it will have actually stagnated, and now the months ahead, and um, Clemens Fust from IFO sent this when we interviewed him earlier today, he said that the third and the fourth quarter could easily be contractions. That's all about gas, though, as, you, as he mentioned, that as we know, gas plays such an important role. And if that breaks down with Germany, sorry, with Russia, it will just, Germany will be really be in recession. So, Zoe, what's interesting to me here is as we talk about recession, the magnitude of recession remains in question. Is it a shallow one? Is it a deep one? To what extent does this data signal that we are on par for a recession that rivals the likes of COVID or even the great financial crisis? No, no that, that, right now it does not look like that. Right now it looks like if there's a recession, it will be a weak one. However, this is all so dependent on gas. If there really is a Russian gas offer, gas cut off. And if that is sudden, then the recession will be long and deep. Um, it just will be, and, and unlike other recessions, this won't be one that can't, where then later quarters can catch up on the stuff we missed. Those quarters, that, that growth just will have been, will generally be just wiped out. Mm-hmm. Um, for the ECB, this is obviously an issue because um, they're hiking, in, if they're hiking into a recession, this just makes them look bad. And um, at the same time, their hikes might not even have an impact on inflation. It will make sure that inflation doesn't get entrenched so that we don't have higher prices, um, in, that, um, that wages don't go up. But it will not actually change energy prices. Right. And that just is very difficult. And that maybe helps explain why last week they already did 50 basis points. When you remember, most people said they would do 25. And it explains that before all these bad data come in, and they must be very aware of the um, events calendar, of the data calendar, to have already brought um, 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 interest rates back to zero is an advantage um, before maybe the recessionary pressures just are too much. And then certain policymakers will say, I just can't hike rates if my country's in recession. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, Kriti, it feels like this is a a circle that won't end like a hamster wheel. Because if you get uh, gas rationing and all of a sudden then you wind up having higher prices, then the ECB is going to have to continue to do more because inflation's higher. But the high prices are exactly what's going to wind up tipping Europe more into recession. And then you get hikes on top of that. Yeah, I, I think, and it really sets the stage for essentially another policy mistake, right? You're looking at an environment where you're hiking into weakness, but then if you don't hike, then you're essentially punished by the market. Right. which will get you. Right, exactly. And then you wind up uh, losing credibility. And uh, Zoe, we had a, a bunch of central bank speakers coming out. And either way you slice it, 25 or 50, it's all about front-loading at this point. 
Yes, that's right. So um, we had um, the um, the Kazakhs, he's the central bank governor from Latvia, saying that, hinting that he'd want 50 again in September. Um, he's a known hawk. On the other side, we had the Italian central bank governor, Ignacio Visco, who said that it's very, he, he did say there would be hikes, but he said mm-hmm. it would be very data dependent and in a way left things very open. And Italy, of course, we have the additional issue that they're going to have elections just a few weeks after the next straight decision. And that, again, could drive that country um, into an economic mess. <laughs> that, that is such a great way to put it. It'll drive it into an economic mess. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Zoe. Really wonderful recap. Bloomberg's Western Europe economic uh, team leader, Zoe Schneeweiss. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and, and Kriti, I feel like that really highlights the point of what the ECB is facing. And then you add in Italian politics, and it is. Just you know, a hot mess. It's so funny that we, we're constantly looking at the BTP boon spread, but it's quite literally the case where the two biggest risks to the entire European economy is Italy right now and Germany, mm-hmm. which, which uh, are, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's wild to me that you're not seeing this uh, really even hit some of these other countries to the extent that it's hitting these two. Yeah, that's a good point. I bet you France feels pretty good, particularly about their nuclear uh, yeah. power <laughs> stuff there. Um, all right, coming up, we're going to stay in the energy space. We're going to get the latest on Gazprom. There are two turbines that are now going to be uh, offline. They're looking at 20% gas flow through Gazprom. We're going to break it down more and what it winds up meaning for prices. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele. Kriti Gupta is in uh, for Guy Johnson. Tell me if you heard this one before. Russia is curbing natural gas flows on the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. I feel like this is a redux, but there is more development. Let's get the latest with Rachel Morrison, who's been following this for us. Uh, What did we learn today in terms of the gas flows and the why behind Gazprom and Nord Stream 1? Hi, yes, so there is only one turbine that remains operational now on Nord Stream um, on the pipeline. So we had two and gas was flowing at 40%. One of those is going to be going to be shut off, so there will only be one, and flows will reduce to 20% um, of capacity from Wednesday morning. Um, the reason that Gazprom is giving is that the turbine needs maintenance. So the, the turbine that is stuck in transit from um, Canada via Germany is supposed to replace this one. So uh, more of the turbines need to be sent to Canada, which just shows you how long this is going to run for the maintenance, the difficulties getting the turbines maintained. And as things stand, there's only one turbine that's operating out of six. So, Rachel, we're looking at, I think, 20% capacity here. How consequential is that 20%? Putin, President Putin did flag that this turbine would need maintenance last week. So it's really what uh, governments and leaders have been saying, that Europe should just prepare for a total shutoff of gas because it seems as though there's going to be more um, changes. And as you said, we had, you know, full maintenance, then we were back to 40%, now we're down to 20%. You know, it's going to be like this. This uncertainty is going to remain. Mm -hmm. So, and that seems to be what Putin is trying to do. So, you know, we're hearing more rhetoric that Europe should just prepare to have no gas from Russia. And then anything that they do get is, you know, helpful rather than 
um, to rely as much as we have been yeah. on these flus. It's like a bonus. It's like, oh, good. Hey, we got some. That's awesome. <laughs> but what, what, what I'm really confused about is um, how prices responded. Like we saw a 13% jump in uh, Dutch forward one-month prices. We know this is the thing. We know that Putin has to keep some gas flowing in order to have the leverage, but you know, we know that he's using it as the leverage. So I'm just, and we're already looking at European countries trying to cut down on their own gas consumption. So I genuinely was a bit surprised as to how strongly markets reacted. Yes, he had given the date of around July 26th. So you could say it's expected, but I, I suppose that it's the uncertainty that he's trying to create, hmm. that nobody really knows what's going to happen and when. And I think in what we've been writing this afternoon, it's quite stark that, that you know these turbines all need to be sent to Canada. And, and that is taking such a long time that it's hard to see flows being restored anytime soon, especially if the paperwork and the sanctions, the workarounds that have been found take so long that, you know, this is going to run for for all winter, really. So, Rachel, this is, I mean, to, to your point, the winter is going to be brutal. We're, we're not Winter's there yet. coming. Winter is coming. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, but I'm curious, is that the deadline we're waiting for here? Is that the deadline that European governments are kind of racing towards that we we have to somehow find alternatives before what October when it gets starts to get chilly. What what is the deadline here? The focus in Germany and indeed in Europe is on saving energy now, so as soon as possible, so that we can put that gas into storage to try to kind of get a cushion um, ahead of winter. So what um, what analysts seem to think is that if we can fill storage to the levels that um, have been set, then if Russia does cut flows completely, we have until about January until um, there are some some problems. But what we'll probably see now is this this takes us a step closer towards energy rationing of industry mm-hmm. um, and potentially triggering the next step in Germany's emergency plan. So it, it will, ha- you know, we'll see real impact before the winter. It's like when it happens, not if. Like that definitely has been a changing narrative. Rachel, thanks so much for following this story for us. Rachel Morrison uh, joining us. Coming up, you're looking at Ryanair here. Um, cloudy fall, very cloudy 2023. We'll speak to the CFO. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. I have not flown anywhere anytime soon. I don't even really plan to. Do you want to get an airplane? I'm a little skittish about it, but I do want to travel in 2023. I feel like I'm an outlier. I'm Alex Steele here in New York. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. So I'm like the perfect client for, say, Ryanair. Um, The company says now the passengers are remaining cautious about booking you have it's a low cost carrier, so many people book closer to tra- the travel date, and that's clouding its prospects for the fall as well as into 2023. Uh, Bloomberg Television spoke to Ryanair CFO Neil Shoran uh, earlier today. It's a busy summer, lots of pent up demand out there. As you would have seen last month, uh, we, we had a 95% load factor uh, with a 92% load factor in, in the quarter. Uh, just ended. Uh, uniquely, we're fully staffed, um, so we're flying about 115% of the capacity that we had uh, pre-COVID, and the plan is to grow from 149 million customers uh, pre-COVID to 165 million in the current financial year, which is up from 97 million uh, last year. So I think 
people are, are keen to get back out, uh, keen to get back to the beaches and, and the cities of Europe, and, and we're well-placed to, to get them there. Yeah, you're keen to take them. Neil, good morning to you. Nice to see you here in London uh, with us. Let me ask you, though, about your resilience in the face of what many call a cost-of-living crisis, yep. and many parts of Europe are either experiencing this already or are expecting to. I know you'll tell me that that's an environment customers trade down, but will that be enough to save your business plan, I suppose, through yeah, the winter? Absolutely. I mean, we've been very busy over the past couple of years uh, pushing down our costs. We took 73 of the new game-changer aircraft, which are 16% more fuel-efficient, 4% more seat and we're buying them at the right price. There's another 50 of those coming in this winter, which will drive our costs down even further. We've been locking in airport deals out as far as 2030 and beyond uh, low-cost uh, low deals where airports are keen to get restoration, where various other carriers took capacity out or went out of business. So we're growing strongly across Europe. Our experience, Anna, in the past, whether it's the financial crisis or, or, or previous recessions, is that people do trade down. They continue <laughs> to travel in numbers, but they become more self-conscious and, and more price-conscious as to who they actually travel with. And I think the reliability that we've shown this summer as well will encourage people to make the move over to Ryanair. That was Ryanair CFO Anna, Anna Edwards of Bloomberg Television. Let's get more on this with European Airlines and Autos reporter Sidharth Philip. Hey, Sid, what was your biggest takeaway from Ryanair? So, uh, Alex, the biggest takeaway from Ryanair was the fact that, one, they have their capacity sorted out and they haven't had to make massive cuts in capacity like EasyJet and British Airways. And that's down to them not really cutting jobs at the height of the pandemic. Instead, they sort of agreed deals with unions, which helped them keep workers on. And they haven't had the staffing crisis that other airlines have had. Yeah, I, I was really surprised about that, too. Did they just make like a really lucky bet during the pandemic or was there a a good strategic long-term reason for that? Because it just feels like they played roulette and won, but maybe not. Yeah, it does. I mean, it does seem like uh, the other airlines were sort of prepared for a longer sort of ramp up in travel, whereas Ryanair correctly now predicted a faster ramp up and the fact that they were ready for it when it came. Mm -hmm. I'm also interested in other airline CEOs, and this is obviously the higher cost uh, carriers too, are talking a lot about how they do see a strong environment continuing, etc. But Ryanair just doesn't have the visibility. Is that because of the type of airline that Ryanair is, or do they see something different that other carriers just aren't seeing? So Ryanair is saying that they don't really have visibility because people are booking close in and that's true for the summer. It's true for the quarter that ends in September and into the fall. And it does seem to be sort of a cautionary take when other airline CEOs are sort of more bullish. Mm -hmm. uh, it still remains to be seen which one is really right because, I mean, it does seem like there is pent-up demand. But how long will that pent-up demand last, especially with all these challenges that are upcoming, including the rising cost of living and uh, inflation? So I think it's really key to see how it plays out as we get into sort of the fall, really. Yeah, because I was going to say, is that just because if I'm flying British Airways, it's a longer trip, I'm going to be booking it out like months in advance, it's a thing, versus like, let's just go away for the long weekend and go to Greece or something. Exactly. And also Ryanair's biggest business is the fact that uh, they have people flying to the beaches in Europe. And that's really mm. when, uh, that's really summer travel, there's no other uh, main season for people going to the beach in Europe. And that's sort of their different business model versus, say, BA, which has a sort of a slew of destinations, including long haul, short haul, uh, city breaks, and other sort of visiting friends and relative businesses. 
Fair point. That, uh, and you're also not going to go to the beach, probably. Well, maybe you will, but it will be a little exactly. cold if you go in March, to be honest. Um, we get EasyJet, I think, tomorrow. What are you expecting? Uh, so EasyJet's been actually a little different from Ryanair. So they've had to cut a lot of capacity out, one, because they've had their own staffing crisis, as well as the fact that they've there are in airports where the biggest airports that EasyJet operates in are also the airports that have imposed capacity limits on passengers. So it's does look like it might be a slightly different picture, but everyone's looking to see what EasyJet's doing now that they've announced these cuts. Are they going to cut some more flights, mm-hmm. or are they going to be able to operate the schedule that they can at the moment? I, I gotta say, you know, Ryanair does feel like a positive outlier, but it also feels like analysts are still really bullish on that company. And I'm just wondering, like, how much more upside do we think at this point when you talk to analysts? Can can Ryanair really have? Uh, so, again, it's, I mean, nobody's really quite sure what yeah. the upside is, especially with the outlook remaining cloudy. And I think as people get sort of clarity on whether the, there'll be a full year return to profitability and how the sort of second half of the year, with Rainer has the April to uh, March year. So the second half of their fiscal year is really key to see how it sort of performs and what the stock does. Yeah. Have you been on a plane recently? I haven't. I haven't. I'm waiting to get on a plane, but I think I'm going to wait until September. Yeah. You don't have kids, do you? No, I don't. That's the way to do it. If you don't have kids, go go in the fall. Whatever. I'm with kids. Uh, can't go anywhere. Yeah, I haven't been on one either. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take two big trips in 2023. Um, but I am not really going to do anything before that. I just don't want to deal with the hassle and the pricing and all of that, too. Um, hey, Sid, thanks a lot. Super appreciate it. Sid Phillips, a busy man over the next few days uh, as well. All right, coming up, we're going to take a look at ahead, uh, the week ahead in the U.S. you got the Fed. you got a slew of tech earnings. We're kind of break all of those down uh, as we go. It's fair to say that 75 bips feels like a done deal for Wednesday. It's just a matter of like what happens September. We're already pricing in some cuts for February of 2023 that feels like it's not that far away. We'll break that all down for you. You're listening to The Cable. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele here in New York. Uh, Kriti Gupta joins me for in for Guy Johnson. It is just past 5.30 in London. Uh, Kriti, i got to say, stock's going nowhere fast. Like In the S&P, the commodities uh, sector, particularly energy, is really outperforming. Apache, Diamondback doing really well. Uh, Newmont, the worst performing stock, though. That's an inflation story dealing with higher labor costs. But I have zero direction right now uh, in the U.S. equity market. Probably because it's really the precursor to the main event, which is tomorrow. The idea that you have the likes of Coca-Cola, McDonald's reporting in the morning, mm-hmm. then Alphabet, Microsoft later uh, during the day, G- uh, GM, General Motors, as well as Matt Miller loves to remind me tomorrow morning. So really, I think the show starts tomorrow. Yep, fair enough. Um, in the meantime, we have some great top stories for you. Here's Charlie Bellick. I thank you very much. And here's what's going on, Alex Steele. The two candidates vying to be Britain's next prime minister will face off in a TV debate at 9 o'clock tonight after both sought to woo the Conservative Party's right-wing base by backing a controversial plan to deport some asylum seekers to Rwanda. Foreign Secretary Liz Truss and former Treasury Chief Rishi Sunak are battling to succeed Boris Johnson as head of Britain's governing party. Ryanair Holdings, as you heard right here on the cable, says passengers remain cautious about booking, clouding its prospects beyond a summer travel boom in which it's suffering less disruption than many of its rivals 
sales. Europe's largest discount airline posted a profit for the first quarter through June that beat analyst estimates and is sticking with plans to lift capacity beyond pre-COVID levels. The lure of air conditioning in the office proved too much to pass up for many of uh, City of London workers during last week's heat wave. About 60% of city employees were at their desks as temperatures peaked, according to data compiled by Google, which tracks the movements of some of its users. That is the latest from the news desk. Alex Steele, back to you now here in New York. Thanks so much. Hey, Charlie, isn't your big trip sometime soon? It's a fascinating trip where I'm taking, uh, really exploring Britain's economic history via canal, which is probably the the easy way to put it. But uh, I got to tell you, very briefly, I'm booking another incredible trip, which I'll tell you about sometime. It is called a milk run tracing Alaska Airlines' original routes from one part of Alaska, Anchorage, down to a small town called Sitka. It's about five hours. Plane makes about five stops and uh, definitely kind of cool. Uh, Charlie is the coolest person that I know. Let's just <laughs> let's just leave it at that. Uh, Charlie, thank you so much. Truly appreciate it. So as Critty was saying, um, tomorrow the store really starts with earnings, consumer staples in the morning, and then you have big tech in the afternoon. What also the story is going to start tomorrow is the Fed's uh, meeting will kick off with Wednesday, uh, the result coming down at 2 p.m. So Michael McKee, Bloomberg International Economics and Policy Correspondent, joins us now. Uh, Mike, it does seem like the 75 bips is a done deal. We didn't get anything from the Wall Street Journal today. The, the secret is that, you know, you know, someone in the Fed has a line to someone in the Wall Street Journal and feeds them stuff if things are going to change for the meeting. So, are we done? 75 bips? Done deal? Uh, it seems that they have uh, not given us any reason to think it wouldn't be at this point. They, We didn't have as many Fed speakers after the CPI report that got everybody talking about 100 basis points. Uh, but uh, everybody who was speaking basically endorsed 75. So what does that mean? I mean, I, I keep hearing over and over again that it's really about the forward guidance. Well, obviously, but are they looking for, or is the market even looking for, or economists, I should say as well, for the fact that it's going to slow down from here? Is that the more beneficial outcome, or some sort of guarantee that the Fed is going to remain hawkish, remain surprising the markets? I think uh, Jay Powell is going to try to have it both ways. Uh, let everybody know that they remain hawkish and they're going to do whatever they need to do to bring inflation down, but kind of dodge the question of how high they're going to go and where they what they will do in September because they don't know what's happening with the economy and it is very confusing at this point we have a lot of cross currents some things up some things down yeah. and so they probably don't want to lock themselves into so anything in particular how do you think they're going to talk about the softer data that we've seen like you pointed this out to me, that they probably like the software data that we've seen, but they can't say that. So how are they going to categorize that? <laughs> well, they can say this is proceeding as we intended. intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, uh, you know, The whole idea is slow down the economy. But they and can't how, say it. The market how, how slow does the economy go? Uh, that's the, the question and, and the hard thing for anybody to know. We've seen a decline in uh, ISMs for manufacturing and services that would be in line with the Fed tightening. Then you had the S&P uh, purchasing managers indexes that uh, the services one fell out of bed. Uh, so are we contracting or mm-hmm. are we not contracting? We don't really know at this point. They'll be looking at all the indicators. Probably Friday is going to be the most interesting this week because you've got income and spending and the PCE uh, inflation numbers, although those are June and a big drop in energy prices has been in July. And uh, you get the ECI, the Employment Cost Index, that will give us an idea of what's happening with wage inflation. 
So we'll have some idea, but uh, this just all underscores the problem that the Fed has of always having to work with backwards data. But we also get GDP data on Thursday. And I'm wondering, is this is the moment where everyone says, yes, we're in a recession, it's happened, or <laughs> I don't know. Those are your peeps, Critty. Uh, <laughs> for for the, our audience, the, just the, for some clarity. The my... problem is, is there's there's no such thing as a technical recession, although a lot of people like to think of it that way. Uh, the idea of two consecutive quarters of contraction. Um, the official definition comes from the National Bureau of Economic Research, and they have a, a whole bunch of criteria, about eight different things that they look at to see what a recession is, because they say it's a broad-based decline in yeah. activity. And what we saw in the first quarter was inventories and trade, and we may see more of that in the second quarter. What we'll look at with GDP, perhaps, is the consumer and business spending and see if those have slowed at all, but they're not expected to contract. So it's probably not going to be a network from the Fed, but it, uh, I mean, a, a recession from the Fed, but uh, from Fed's point of view, but those who want to think that way on Wall Street, <laughs> will think that way on Wall Street. Alex, for some for some context to our listeners as well, um, basically a couple of weeks ago, I went over to Mike McKean, I said, so is this the moment that we're we're going to be in recession. He goes, "That's cute. That's adorable. Um, <laughs> that's not how. That's not how recessions are called. That's only how Wall Street people think." Mm-hmm. Um, so he very kindly gave me the uh, explanation. So just right so now. you know, Mike is incredibly snarky. <laughs> he's one of my BFFs, and he's a snarky man. <laughs> well, the, the thing about it is, is it, it, Wall Street looks at this differently than the average person. The old joke is, uh, recession is when your neighbor loses his job. A depression yeah. is when you lose your job. Mm. But on Wall Street, a recession is when you lose money on your investments. And so they're going to look at the contractions or the numbers in GDP and decide, is this good for earnings or bad for earnings? And Mm -hmm. therefore, what is it going to mean for my stock prices? I think it will be very interesting to see what happens right now. um, Everybody's talking about the inverted twos, tens curve and how that signifies recession. All these people on Wall Street think it signifies recession. What happens if we get a contraction in GDP on Thursday and all of a sudden twos drop out of bed and (laughs) We suddenly yeah. have an inverted, uh, a, a, not an inverted, a steep yield curve. Mm-hmm. And, and then everybody goes, oh, well, never mind. Well, yeah, exactly. And many say that, that the yield curve is distorted somewhat, so you really can't take into account uh, what that's factoring in. It's going to be fun. It's going to be really fun. As always, I will tease Mike's question. He always asks the best question, always gets the best answer. It's always the sound that everyone talks about the next day. So make sure to tune into that presser on Wednesday. It's a deep tease for you. No here pressure, on Mike. The cable. No pressure. He doesn't feel it. He's, he's cool as a cucumber. All right, Mike McKee, thank you so very much. Really appreciate it. All right, coming up, we'll talk about the other big U.S. event this week, and that's the release of earnings from the big tech names Google, Meta, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, we'll break it all down for you and get some preview there. And Creed and I will chat about positioning and how we hit the bottom in the NASDAQ. Interesting stuff. All right, you're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. I don't know if we're in the Goldilocks phase where we were too cold and then we got a little hot and maybe this is just right um, and the companies just need to report. But I think we're going to see some wild uh, swings this week, like we've seen each of the last two quarters after these big companies have reported. My sense is the market is kind of at equilibrium. That is, we've probably seen the lows in tech um, if we, unless we see something 
monumental if we see another black swan event like we've seen. Um, but this is obviously the biggest week for tech earnings for the second quarter, and we're going to learn a lot about the back half of this year. That was Mark Lehman of JMP Securities. He invests in publicly traded companies, also private companies. And when it comes to technology, like he's the guy you go to to get the lowdown uh, on tech. What are you looking at mo- most closely, uh, Kriti? I mean, there's a lot of things to pick from. There's the layoff situation, there's the dollar, then there's sort of end user sales. Also, you get some tough comps for the like of Microsoft. What, what do you like? Well, I think from a trading perspective, it'll be the comps, 100%. I think that there's a massive, massive um, weight on tech names right now. And I would argue companies broadly, because everyone's looking for that kind of needle in the haystack that'll say, oh, we're in a recession, or oh, this company mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. is about to finally slow down. And if you actually look at what some of these companies are doing, they're actually not slowing down. They've actually been growing really fast, and and they haven't had that peak growth yet. They've had a deceleration, mm-hmm. but they haven't actually dropped their sales yet. So I think they're looking for any indication that something is going wrong. I also wonder too the distinction throughout tech earnings from the big guys, right? Like, we know that Microsoft is always going to be okay, Google's going to be fine, um, versus, like, the lack, the non-profitable companies. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pick on Carvana for a moment, but that's, no way is that exclusive. But those that didn't make a profit, but investors were okay with it because money was super cheap and super free, and now comes the reckoning. It felt like yeah. the reckoning came last quarter, but I wonder if the reckoning still has further to go, too. Oh, I'm sure the reckoning continues. I'd argue that it, it's almost going to be even more brutal because, I mean, do we remember a couple weeks, well, not, I don't think it was weeks ago, a couple months ago, but when Target sales came out and there was the whole mm-hmm. merchandise story, all of a sudden, these metrics kind of like came out of nowhere were dictating what the stock price was going to be. So, for example, the inventory versus sales numbers on Target, and you mm-hmm. had to actually find that ratio and then model it out. No one actually models out the stocks based on that particular ratio. So, it kind of feels like, at least to me, um, that's the more of the swing vote this week than the Federal Reserve or the eco data or anything else. It's going to be just how much do some of these stocks need to be punished, for lack of a better term, and bring some of those valuations back down. Or, on the flip side, have earnings estimates re-rated enough, like we know about the slowdown in hiring for many of them. Microsoft's already warned about the dollar impact. We know that the consumers is a little dicey when it comes to Amazon. Or have we re-rated enough? That you just don't be terrible, like Netflix, right? Could have been worse, and all of a sudden your stock gets a nice, you know, gets some stability. But then, if it's an early indication of what we saw last week with, for example, Snapchat, that was a brutal move. Oh my god, it was like a a forty percent decline Mm -hmm. on on. By the way, daily active users, which is usually what their stock does trade off of, those were actually a beat, and they came out and it was just basically, I think, their suspended guidance that killed them there. Also, if you can't monetize an increase in daily active users, well, then what's the point? point? But you're right; it wasn't like all of a sudden no one's on Snap. Yeah, it's just or Snapchat. It's just a matter of like how to how to make money um, off of them. Also, it feels like at least for maybe Apple. But for Microsoft, I was reading some stuff about there could be some tough comps because last year everyone was like, "Yeah, I'm going to work from home, get a new Mac, going to retrofit like my whole home office," and that's yeah. not going to happen now again. You don't do that every year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did you see that story about um, the Apple iPhone being discounted? I over did. In Asia? I don't think I've ever heard that before. Yeah, you know, me neither. And apparently, it's happening. You know, even here, T-Mobile, for example, someone told me that they uh, are were offered two iPhones for the price of one. <laughs> it's like, what are you going to do with the second iPhone? <laughs> I don't know. Just have it. Have I guess. It, I, guess for I don't your know. Backup when uh, your screen cracks. <laughs> but I wonder. I wonder the China story. Is that a China thing or is that an Apple thing? Uh, that's a good things. question. I would argue both. I yeah. would argue both because I mean we've been talking about inventory buildups everywhere. Mm-hmm. I would. True. I wouldn't see why Apple is an exception to that. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, my iPhone has kind of stopped working. It's like first the camera stopped working, and now I can't actually make calls. Like I feel like it's like get a new phone, Alex, to get a new one. But I like <laughs> resent that they force me. Um, all right, you got big tech on deck. You got all the big names coming out this week, so stay with us uh, for that. All right, coming up, it is happening at 9 p.m. UK time. It is the debate between Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak. What to look out for? What are the key points? What do tax cuts actually mean for inflation? We'll try and break all that down for you. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele. Kriti Gupta is here in for Guy Johnson. So a couple hours to go, and we have the first one-on-one debate between Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. It's their first head-to-head debate. Um, it's going to be a while until we know the winner. We're looking at a couple, a few more weeks, et cetera, et cetera. But the real debate is what their stance is on taxes. Both of them want to cut taxes. It's just a question of when and just how inflationary uh, that would wind up being. So earlier on Bloomberg Television, uh, Tom McKenzie and myself spoke with Nina Scaro. She is a CEO of the Center for Economics and Business Research about the implications of this tax cut that's proposed by candidate Liz Truss. There has been a lot of attention on the inflationary implications of the planned tax cuts that Liz Truss has announced if she was going to become prime minister. I would say when we talk about inflation, I would still be primarily looking at the Bank of England and the monetary policy side as you know the party responsible for controlling inflation. Now, having said that, of course, pumping more money into the economy, which is still facing a number of other inflationary pressures, is going to be helpful in terms of bringing those figures down. Uh, Nina, there is a school of thought, whether or not you believe it, that uh, Trust can actually pay for her uh, tax cuts now, that there's an existing fiscal envelope that allows some, some room in terms of the uh, fiscal budget deficit. Um, is that true? And, it, and also, it begs the question, with inflation already at 9% plus, how inflationary could these tax cuts actually really be? So there, it is actually true that there is some fiscal headroom, and this actually comes from the fact that the projections that the government was uh, keeping in mind on in terms of the price rises have been overshot. So if we look at a couple of sources of that headroom, one of them is VAT. So given that VAT is a percentage of prices being paid, higher prices have meant higher receipts. Also, in terms of income taxation, frozen allowances have meant that there has been some fiscal drag, and people have also been asking for higher raises, meaning that also in terms of, of that side, you know, the, what the Treasury has seen coming in from income taxation is also a little bit surprised on the upside. So it is true that there is some headroom. The question is how much. Uh, that was Nina Scarrow um, joining us earlier on her implications and her thoughts on Liz Truss and her tax plan. Let's get more on the debate, what to expect. Ellen Milligan uh, joins us from Bloomberg. Ellen, um, what's the firework you're watching for today? Well, I thought that was a really interesting discussion. And I think um, ahead of the, uh, we've got two television debates coming up to one today um, and one tomorrow. And I think you're going to hear more about taxation and economics um, from Liz Truss and from Rishi Sunak. Um, you've heard it quite a lot already. You saw Sunak criticise Truss for 
fairy tale economics where she wants to fund tax cuts with more borrowing. And she's accused um, Sunak of choking growth by raising taxes to their highest level in 70 years. Um, I think also you're going to hear um, more about this kind of row over China. There's been a, there's been a, a lot of counter-briefing over the weekend about the, the pair's approach to cracking down on Chinese influence in the UK. Um, Sunak said he would look at banning Chinese acquisitions of sensitive British assets. Trust campaign hit back saying he had actually pushed for the resumption of economic and trade discussions with China while he was Chancellor. Sunak's campaign accused Trust of turning a blind eye to Chinese influence while she was um, an education minister. It's all getting quite messy. Um, I personally would quite like to hear more about housing, the NHS backlog, um, Brexit. I think you're going to hear a wider debate today. I want to ask about the energy bills as well. We know energy subsidies has been a hot topic in the UK for a while. There's the two sides takes. Yeah, so they have been a bit, um, the, the energy debate has, has not actually been much which has dominated um, recently. You've had Sunak pledge that he would divide um, the department here, which is where the department in the UK government at the moment is where business, space and energy are combined. He would make a separate energy um, department and he would um, have this uh, task force to uh, tackle uh, winter energy resilience and make sure the UK had um, enough power um, to, for winter. Now, the UK already kind of has that task force that has been created, um, but, but this is going to be something that they all battle. And you saw today... Javier Blass's report that actually during the heat wave, London was close to facing blackouts. And that's something that, that, that might be raised as well. This is something that's going to really worry um, voters, Tory members who are, who are voting um, for the next prime minister um, as, we, as we get nearer to winter. First of all, that Javier Blas thing that you said from Bloomberg Opinion, it was an amazing piece of reporting. I mean, the numbers in there about like what ha the price that uh, UK had to pay to get power from Belgium to the keep the lights on was tremendous. Um, so everyone should definitely check that out on the terminal. Um, who is this debate for? Like, there's only like a couple hundred thousand people who are gonna be voting in this in in, in this round, right? Like, who's actually watching this right now? <laughs> so there's except for you, except for you, Ellen, I know you're glued. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll be watching, but um, of course, but there's about 175,000 Tory um, members who are voting um, between Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak by the beginning of September. Um, obviously, far more than that will be watching tonight. Um, what is said has implications on um, UK strategy when it comes to all the things we've just um, spoken about for the next two years and, and also um, it goes to who um, is going to be um, prime minister when there's a next general election in about two years' time as well. And to set the context for this, um, postal ballots um, go out to Tory members from next week. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, you've got um, Liz Truss leading um, in the poll. She had a 24-point lead ahead of Sunak last week amongst uh, grassroots conservatives. So when you ask who this debate is for, 
I think it's for Rishi Sunak. He's got far more to win mm. and she's got far more to lose um, in these TV debates this week. Um, he really needs to shine. He, he did impress in the TV debates a couple of weeks ago, um, but he really needs to persuade voters to come his way. Yeah. And what Trust really needs to do is the political equivalent of what we call parking the bus in football over the UK. She kind of has to play yeah. it defensively to nullify the opposition. Yeah, it's like also hers to lose. It's the rhetoric I'm hearing. Hey, Ellen, thanks a lot. I know you're going to be busy tonight. Ellen Mulligan, a million joining us there. Critty, thank you for joining me. Uh, I'll be back with you guys tomorrow. Hope you enjoyed the show. Have a good night and happy Monday. This is Bloomberg.